God's Road Grace Church would like to invite you to listen to a sermon by our pastor, Todd Nybert. We are located at 4137 Todd's Road, two miles outside of Manowar Boulevard. Sunday services are at 1030 a.m. and 6 p.m. Bible study is at 945 a.m. Wednesday services are at 7 p.m. Nursery is provided for all services. For more information, visit our website at toddsroadgracechurch.com. Now here's our pastor, Todd Nybert. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul asks this question, Is Christ divided? Are there divisions and different denominations within the body of Christ? The answer is no. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. He said in verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me. Not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now the Apostle Paul had been dealing with the divisions and the contentions within the church at Corinth. And there were a lot of them. This church, like really any other church, was filled with many, many problems. If you find a perfect church, don't join it, you'd ruin it. This church was filled with problems and Paul was addressing those, but all of a sudden he digresses from this and he doesn't return until the third chapter, and from here to the end of chapter 2, we're given one of the clearest and most glorious declarations of the gospel found in all of Holy Scripture. I love this passage of Scripture, and Paul prefaces this glorious uh, declaration of the gospel with these words, Christ sent me, Not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now Paul makes this statement, Christ sent me. There is such a thing as a God sent preacher. Uh, It's such a problem. Many preachers, their seminary sent them, their churches sent them, their mothers sent them. But there is such a thing as God sending a man. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, who I want to hear is someone God has sent. That's the only credential that I care about is that God has sent that man. I don't care about his 
seminary experience? Did God send him? Paul said, Christ sent me. You know, the Lord himself said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he hath sent me to preach the gospel to the poor. Well, this one who was sent to preach to the gospel to the poor sent Paul to preach the gospel to the poor. For Christ sent me. Not to baptize. Now there are people who think that this is the negation of Christian baptism at this time. It's no longer in operation because Paul's saying it's no longer necessary. Christ sent me not to baptize. That's not what Paul is saying at all. Baptism is important. The Lord said, Whoso believeth and is baptized, the same shall be saved. Now, does baptism save? Of course not. Going down under the water and coming back up never saved anybody. But it's the believer's confession of Christ. I'm confessing in baptism that my only hope of being saved is when he lived, I was in him, and I lived. When he kept the law, I kept the law. When he died, and this is what I'm signifying by going underwater, when he died, I died with him. I was buried with him. My sins were paid for. When he was raised from the dead, when I come up out of the water, I came out with him because I was in him. That is our hope. Oh, I love baptism. What a glorious, simple picture of the gospel. Paul said, Christ didn't send me to baptize. He's not talking about uh, baptism is no longer relevant or not important. But baptisms has to do with what God does. Baptisms has to do with results. And that's God's business. I can't save anyone. Uh, I might talk someone into being baptized, but it doesn't mean anything unless God reveals it to them. And they want to confess Christ in believers' baptism. My Responsibility, Paul said, is not to get results. It's not to grow a church. It's not numbers. My responsibility before God, this is what Christ sent me to do, to preach the gospel. And then he added this statement to that, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Wisdom of words means marketing the gospel, making the gospel more appealing to the flesh, making the gospel less offensive so the natural man can more easily receive it. Now, Paul said, if I use wisdom of words in marketing the gospel, and that goes on so much in our day, if I use wisdom of words and marketing the gospel and trying to remove the offense and trying to make it more appealing to the flesh. What do I do? I make the cross of Christ of none effect. No one is saved through that kind of preaching. God does not use that kind of preaching. Now, Christ sent me not to baptize and he didn't send me to market the gospel. He sent me to preach the gospel. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching, the declaration of the message to save them that believe. Now, the first thing that I would notice is the word the. Definite 
article, the gospel. Not a gospel, not one among many gospels, but the gospel. He said in this same book in chapter 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. The gospel I'm preaching now is the same gospel I first brought to you. The reason being there is only one gospel and that gospel never changes. It's always the same message. It was the same message when Abel brought the blood. The gospel never changes. As a matter of fact, it's an eternal message. Christ is called in Revelation 13, 8, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1, 9, he saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which were given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. It's called in Revelation 14, 6, the everlasting gospel, the gospel that never had a beginning, the gospel that will never have an end, the gospel. I declare unto you the gospel. It is what it always was and what it always will be. It is the eternal gospel. It knows no changes. It knows no amendments. I declare unto you the gospel. Now we read in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 19 of the mystery of the gospel. I like that term, the mystery of the gospel. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now, what is a mystery? A mystery is something we would never have known had not God made it known. Here's a real simple example of that. The Trinity. God is one God in three distinct persons. Now, would you have ever woke up one morning and said, I'm going to try to figure out what God's like. And then you'd come up with, well, God's one God in three persons. Why, that would never happen. The only reason we know it is because it's revealed in the scripture, the mysteries of the gospel. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, understand this about a mystery. A mystery is not so much something you understand and comprehend, but it's something you believe. And you believe it because it's been revealed in the scripture. The mystery of the gospel. And the gospel is called numerous times the gospel of God. Not the gospel of men. The gospel of God. The gospel whose origin is in God. Paul said in Galatians 1.11, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel was preached to me was not after man. It was not derived from any human source. It's God's gospel. It's not the invention of men. It's God's gospel. The gospel that has him as its source. The gospel is called twice the glorious gospel or the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Now understand this. The gospel is about God's glory. 
When somebody thinks God's chief end is to save men, they've got it wrong. God's chief end is to glorify himself. Now, thank God men are saved through his chief end. But God's great purpose is to glorify himself. That's the reason of the cross. It's to make known his character, his glorious character. God does what he does for his own glory. Now, in my salvation, I know this. He gets the glory. I'm not saved because of anything I do. I'm not saved because of anything I intend to do. I'm saved because God saved me. And in my salvation, he gets all the glory and all the credit. The gospel is the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. I love the way Mark begins his gospel. Let me quote this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. There's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ, the Son of God, who He is. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 23. We preach Christ crucified. We preach the person and the work of Christ. The gospel is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Christ. And then... Peter spake in the council at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, verse 7, and he spoke of the word of the gospel. The word of the gospel. You see, the gospel has a specific content. There are specific words that are used, and if they are not used, the gospel is not preached. That's why Paul said to Timothy, preach the word. Now the word is everything from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, and it's got one message, the word. Does the word declare that God elected a people? Then preach it. Does the word declare that Christ is a sufficient Savior and that what he did is all that's needed? Preach it. Does the word declare salvation by grace? Preach it. Preach the word, the word of the gospel, the actual content of the gospel. The Lord said, the words that I speak unto you, they're spirit and they are life. Now the gospel is called many times the gospel of the kingdom. I love this. The gospel of the kingdom. That's the rule of his jurisdiction. He's the king And he's the king over all, the gospel of the kingdom. I love the way he said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not a political kingdom. We're not trying to uh, uh, put the world under the rule of God. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. It has nothing to do with politics or governments or nations. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's the kingdom of which Daniel said he doeth according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Oh, the gospel of the kingdom. And Paul called it in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel, the good news, the gospel of the grace of God. Now let me save us a lot of time. Do you believe in salvation by grace? If you would ask 
any church in Lexington, Kentucky this morning. Do y'all believe in salvation by grace? I bet every one of them would say yes. We believe in salvation by grace. Well, Paul spoke in Romans chapter 11, verse 5 of the election of grace. Now, what is the election of grace? Well, that's God electing, selecting, choosing who would be saved before time began. And that choice was not because he foresaw they would believe. That choice was simply because he willed to do it. For the children being not yet born and for neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. Now, if I do not believe electing grace, and I'm talking about uh, what the Bible says about electing grace, I don't believe in grace, period. And if I'm right, as far as my understanding of what the Bible teaches with regard to electing grace, I'm right on the rest of grace. The gospel of the grace of God. Now, on three different occasions in the New Testament, we read of the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. And on two of those occasions, it was in Galatians chapter 2. Now, let me give you the setting when Paul used this word. Peter, the apostle Peter, was eating with Gentile believers at the church of Antioch. All the distinction between Jews and Gentiles and all fleshly distinctions are abolished in the gospel. There's no black or white. There's no male or female. There's no rich or poor. There's no educated or uneducated. There's no social distinctions. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And Peter was eating with the Gentiles. And some people came from James Church, the church of Jerusalem where James was the pastor. And Peter got nervous. He knew that they would look at him critically for eating with the Gentiles. So without saying a word, he got up and moved from the table of the Gentiles and sat down with the table of the Jews and began to eat. And you know what Paul did? Paul rebuked him publicly. And he did so that the truth of the gospel might remain. You see, if what Peter did was allowed to go unreproved, it would be saying, well, it's true, these Gentiles are saved, but the Jews are more saved. The Gentiles are accepted, but the Jews are more accepted. They're more pleasing to God by these traditions that they keep. And what that would be saying, it would be saying that Christ is not all in salvation. There's something you can add. There's something you can do to make, him more, to make yourself more pleasing to God. And Paul says that's a denial of the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is all. And then we read in Ephesians 1.13, these wonderful words, the gospel of your salvation. You see, when God saves you, you find out God has saved you. You know some language that many religious people use that's so contrary to the gospel. I got saved. You need to get saved. No, you need God to save you. You need for the Lord to do something for you. And if you are saved, you didn't get saved. God saved you. The good news, you find out God has saved you. 
It's kind of like when you're forgiven, you find out you've been forgiven. You don't do something to become forgiven. You find out you've been forgiven. Salvation begins with the complete forgiveness of sins. And then we read in Ephesians 6.15 of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. What a word. Peace. What a wonderful feeling. Peace. Colossians 1.20 says, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The gospel made it, the blood of Christ made it to where God is at peace with me. He's satisfied with me. He's not looking for anything else. You see, when Christ was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification, I was justified. I was brought into a sinless state before God. That's what justification means. I have no sin. I'm perfect in Christ Jesus. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our peace, the gospel of our peace. And that comes from what Paul called in Colossians 1.23, the hope of the gospel. Now remember, hope that's seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? You hope for what you do not see. Now I do not see that I stand before God perfectly just. I don't see that in my body. But I believe I am because of what Christ did. I have a hope that when I stand before God on judgment day, God is going to look me over and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And it won't have anything to do with me in myself being good and faithful, but because of the righteousness and merits of Jesus Christ, my Redeemer. And I have a hope that everything between now and then is working together for my good. Because the Bible says, And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What a hope. What a hope. The hope of the gospel. Now this hope is not the hope of mathematical probability. Now when I get on a plane, I did some research on this. There's a 1 in 20 million chance that I'll die in a plane crash. That's how many flights there are a day. That's how many people board flights every day. In a year's time, there's a 1 in 20 million chance that I'll die in a plane crash. Now, those are pretty good odds. I get in the plane, and I don't worry much about it. But I know there's a chance I'll crash. But in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am so secure that I'm already in heaven. 1 John 4, 17 says, As he is, so are we in the world. Is he in heaven? So am I in him. We're seated together in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. That's not a mathematical probability. That's an absolute certainty because of the work of Christ in my behalf. Paul spoke in Philippians 1.17, I'm set for the defense of the gospel. The defense of the gospel. Well, what's that all about? Does the gospel need me to protect it? No, no. But Peter put it this way, always be ready to give an answer that's the same word, a defense, to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. I want to be quick to give the reason for the hope that is in me. You see, 
Paul warned, warned us of those who would pervert the gospel of Christ and change the gospel of Christ. To preach the gospel in such a way that the gospel is not preached. Now, in that sense, the gospel needs defended. Uh, there are men, Paul called them uh, angels of light and ministers of righteousness who are actually the servants of Satan. And they come using the same words. They use words like grace, faith, blood. They use the name of the Lord. They'll talk about repentance. They'll talk about atonement. They'll use those words, the same words, but they change the meaning of the word. And if I believe the message of a false prophet, I will have the end of the false prophet. I will perish with him. Hence the importance of Here's the way you defend the gospel. Preach it clearly so that people can see the difference between the true and the false. You know, I was a bank teller many years ago. And when we studied how to tell the difference between a counterfeit and the real, what you did, you didn't study the counterfeit. You studied the real. So you, when you really were familiar with the real, you could see the obvious counterfeit. It becomes obvious. How do I defend the gospel? I preach the gospel. And Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.8 to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Now, if I preach the gospel, I'm not going to win any popularity contests. I don't expect to. You know, the Lord said, blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And I expect that. But oh, by the grace of God, I want to stand for the gospel, just like Paul did in Romans 1.16 when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And how blessed it is to call the gospel my gospel, the gospel that saved me. The gospel you believed you were saved by is the gospel you believe. Now, Paul said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. I'm not trying to dress up the gospel, try to sneak it in so you don't really hear what I'm saying. I want you to understand exactly what I'm saying. And I don't want to try to remove the offense to make you more likely to believe. I am to preach the gospel and trust God the Holy Spirit to take care of the results. He'll take care of the who believes. There'll be baptisms in the preaching of the gospel, but if I make my aim anything other than simply the declaration of the gospel, I will most assuredly and most certainly accommodate the message to that end. And what I will do is remove the power from the gospel and make it of none effect and no one will be saved by that message. All here was Paul's mission statement and I trust it's my mission statement too. Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. May God bless this message to my heart 
and to yours. To receive a copy of the sermon you have just heard, send your request to todd.nybert at gmail.com or you may write or call the church at the information provided on the screen. 